Revelation 21 is where we're going to be at today. Again, we're going to do somewhat of a topic sermon. Last week we looked at the wrath of God in the book of Revelation and then really other places in the Bible as well. We're going to do a similar thing today except the other way. We're going to look at uh, the rewards of God for His people. So this will be a much more, I hope, exciting and encouraging sermon than last week. Uh, talking about the wrath of God. In fact, I think this is actually beautifully exciting. And so, uh, Revelation 21 is just kind of where we're going to start. We're, we're going to look at several verses here, but we're going to be all over, really, the book of Revelation and the Bible in uh, the sermon this morning. So, verse 1 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. Adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 5, one of the best verses in the Bible. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Father, we need your help this morning to open our eyes and our hearts, our ears, to hear and experience and believe and know the glories laid out for us. God, it's great to be your people. What a privilege, what an honor, what an undeserved gift. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think to begin with, I want to answer the question, why should you think about heaven? Why should you think about the rewards of Christ? Why should you think about the rewards of the faithful? Uh, there are people who will say, have you ever heard the statement before? you ever heard someone say, that guy's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? Have you ever heard anybody say that before? That's kind of a common statement that people I've heard people say. And kind of the thinking behind that is that we shouldn't be just all concerned about heaven. We should be concerned about what's right now, you know, what's right in front of us. And I guess here's what I would tell you. I think the more your mind is set on heaven the more you are concerned about the right now. Does that make sense? I think those two absolutely and unconditionally go together. I think the more that you rejoice in what Christ has laid out for you, what He bought for you on the cross, the more concerned you are with His kingdom coming right now. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right end of God. Set your minds. These are commands. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In fact, in the beginning of Colossians, when Paul's talking to the church here about loving each other, he tells them in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, here's the reason, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
And, and so here's what I believe. I think if you really believe what the Bible says about heaven, if you really believe about what the Bible says about being in God's presence, I think if you believe that stuff, it's going to press you to live out your faith right now. Jesus was on the cross. What? How does he get through that? How do you, how do you get through taking on the filth and, and, and dirtiness and sin of all humanity on yourself? How do, how, do you, how do you get through that? Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus do? Where was he looking? He was looking at the joy set before him. Take a guy like Abraham. So how does Abraham be such a man of faith all through his life, you know? I mean, here, here he is. He's got a great deal going. He's got a ranch, got a farm, got a business, got, got his family. I mean, just, just great all around him, his extended family and Ur. And God appears to him and says, Abraham, what I've got for you is unimaginably good, okay? I am going to bless you. Not only going to bless you, but through your family, all the nations of all the earth for all time are going to be blessed. I mean, he makes him this incredible promise. And he says, come follow me. Come on, Abraham. Abraham takes off and he wanders in the wilderness for the rest of his life. He never, he never gets the, the, the promised land. That's for his descendants, okay? All the promises to come are, are all future. But it, how does Abraham do that? How does, he, how does he wait 24 years for God's promise of a son? Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 9. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. Gals, how'd you like to be Sarah? Tents all your life, okay? You never settled down. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city. See, he's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Go down to verse 15. He says, uh, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. See, here, here's what the Bible says about Abraham. Abraham looked around at the stuff of this life and said, this is not good enough. I, this is not enough. This won't satisfy me. I want more. I want what God has for me. Okay, and, and here's the reality of the Bible God has an endless, inexhaustive, immeasurable amount of blessings for you laid up in Christ if you are a believer. I I taught this Friday, actually. It wasn't my intention, but Daniel assigned me Friday in VBS, and Friday the lesson was on the second coming. And so I'm telling the kids about the things that God has laid up for us, you know? And the way I described it was before Christmas, you know, how you get the presents, and so you you got your name on them, and you have this assurance that, man, this is for me. This is coming for me. You have this anticipation of what's coming. And, and, And what the Bible says is it's so great. I told the kids it's almost like looking in a telescope, you know, thousands of miles in the future and you never get to the end of your presence you know i mean it's just always more just stacked up more and more that's what it is in christ and in fact this life can be terribly disappointing that's just the reality you know i think there there are seasons of life where we always think well just when i get here right you ever do that how many of you say you know well as soon as i get through this busy time have you ever got through the busy time? Have you, have, you, have you got to the other side of that yet? You know, that time you, you put out there that, boy, if, as soon as I get past this, then I'm gonna, or as soon as we get this thing, you, know, you ever have like a heavy load? And you know, as soon as I get this taken care of, well, then if we can just get through this, what's on the other side of that? 
More load, right? I mean, that, that's this life. Our bodies are breaking down. We're limited. We have lots of evil in the world, which means some really bad things are going to happen. But for the believer, for those who are connected to faith in Jesus, listen to this. This is one of my favorite verses. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written, what no eye has seen or ear heard or the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. What the, he says you can't imagine it. As hard as you might try to get your head around and think through the blessings that God has for us, you can't get there. Listen, most folks, I think most everybody, grossly overestimates the rewards and benefits of this life and enormously underestimates what Christ has for us in His presence. I think Hallmark Cards has done a great disservice to you. I think uh, commercials have really ruined this for you, okay? Because they try to depict heaven, and they do a lousy job, right? Have you seen that? You know, guy in a robe, a bed sheet is what it looks like, you know, a toga, you know, with a harp on a fluffy cloud. Who wants that, huh? Who wants that? Do you, do, you, do you want to go to the Grand Canyon or do you want to sit on fluff and pluck a harp in a bed sheet? And you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's intentional, but like how bad of a job can you do? For a lot of folks, here's the tragedy. Heaven is simply the better option to hell. Now, I don't know that there's a lot of people that believe that, but I know there's a few because they have been in my office and I've had the horrible reality of talking to them and realizing that they're there because they don't want to go to hell. They're there because they know that they've broken God's laws. They know they've, they're a sinner. They know they're broken on the inside. They know that they've never made things right with Jesus. But as we begin to talk about Jesus, what I begin to see is it's not that they want him. It's not, it's not that they're, they've seen his glory and they're like, man, I want Jesus. I want to be with him. I want to follow him. I want to trust him. What does he have for me? That's not it. They simply don't want to go to hell. It's like the lesser of two bad options. Do you want liver or broccoli? Well, I'll take broccoli, but I'm not really excited about either. You know, do you, do you, want, to, you want to go to jail or do you want to be tossed in the fire pit? I'll go to jail, you know? I mean, that, I've had people, that's the way they thought of heaven. That's a tragedy. Verse 20, verse 5, chapter 21, 21, 5. Listen to this. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All right. What are the all things that are new? First, a new relationship with God. Okay. New may not be the best word there. Expanded, furthered, completed. That's probably the best way to say that. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. I, I, think, I think where people go wrong when they think of heaven is they go ahead and read the rest of chapter 21, and that's what sticks out to them. You know, streets of gold and uh, gates of pearl and, you know, 1,400 uh, miles long and wide and deep and, you know, all those things. And great, 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 great. That, that's really not even the point. It's not the emphasis. In fact, I'm not even sure we're interpreting that right. But the centerpiece of heaven is right there. Okay? He, God, will dwell with man. 
They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. As you go on and you find out later in, in uh, verse uh, where is it, 23, there's no sun or moon in heaven. Why? Because God is there. The Lamb is there. And he, he's the light. We're in his presence. There's no temple. Why? Because we're in his presence. Now, now here's my question. Is that exciting to you? Are you thrilled over the prospect of hanging out with God Almighty and the Lamb forever? With the kids, here's what I did. I, I, I had a whiteboard, and I, and I went around, and I was like, okay, all right, all right, all right. Tell me who you want to be with. Who do you want to hang out with? If you could hang out with anybody, who would it be more than anybody? You know, who do you love being around? Of course, you got those spiritual kids, you know? They, they always ruin it. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, God. You know, like, okay, yes. Anybody else, you know? And they're like, my mom. I'm like, all right, great, great, great. And I put my mom up there. And I'm like, all right, tell me what you love about being with your mom. You know, well, she's nice. Okay, nice. You know, all right, who else do you like to hang out with? Another kid. My dad. What do you like to be, what do you like to do with your dad? What, what, what makes you happy about your dad? Well, he, uh, he, he's really fun. He plays with me. All right, all right. All right, who else? Who else? My cousin. What do you like to be around? He, he makes me laugh. He's really funny. All right, all right. You know, and we got, first thing, we got all these adventurous and, and beautiful. I always, always ended it with, I want to be with Emma. You know, why do I want to be, because she's beautiful. And I wrote it real big on there. And they're like, ah, you know. Yeah. All right. And then I come back and all right, all right, let's go through each of these. Who's the nicest person? in the entire universe, proven. Jesus, does he not do more for you than anybody else has ever done for you, right? Who, who's, who's the most creative? Who's the most strong? Who's the, and I just went through every category, and it's definitively, absolutely Jesus. So why wouldn't you want to be with him? Have you thought that out in your mind? I mean, when you think about the, the book of James says, 117, every good and perfect gift comes from God. In other words, God is the wellspring. He is the fountainhead. He is the creator. So, all that is good, beautiful, thrilling, satisfying, exciting, comforting, pleasing, it all has its origins in God. And so to be with Him, Psalm 1611, you know it. You got to know it. If you're listening at all, you know it because I repeat it continually. You make known to me the paths of life in your presence is in God's presence with him. What does it mean to be with him? Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love the Old Testament stories where where somebody came into the presence of God. Uh, one of my favorites is Exodus 33. Exodus 33, uh, verse 18, Moses, he says, please, show me your glory, okay? Show me your glory. And you remember what God says to him? He's like, Moses, I can't show you my face, okay? You're not fit. You're, you're not able. You're, your body, you right now, in your sin, you can't handle it. You do not have the ability or the capacity to see my glory. But he says, here's what I'll do for you, Moses. I'll say my name. So verse 18, here he says, and verse 19, he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to him. I'll be gracious and I will show mercy on whom you have mercy. And then you remember what he does? He puts him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by and he gives him just a glimpse. You can have a little peek at, at the back of me. You can't see me face on, but, but I'll, I'll tell you my name. I'll reveal myself to you and I'll show you just a little glimpse of my glory. Do you remember what happens to Moses? He doesn't realize this. He's out in the wilderness. There's no mirrors around. 
he's glow-in-the-dark Moses, all right? After seeing God's glory, he, I don't know how else to say it, he glows. Chapter 34, verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Just that glimpse of the back of God was such that it transformed his appearance so that he radiated. If you remember the rest of that story, they put a veil on him, not to hide it from the people, but because they realized it was fading. You see, he couldn't stay in the presence of God. And so because of that, he, he was fading. His, the glow at Revelation 21, you'll be in God's presence. In his presence forever. Enjoying forever the glory of God. It never ends. Hey, that, that's the exciting thing to me about having. I hate being bored. I probably, I mean, some of you, you know, what do you hate? You know, some of you hate, you know, this, that. I, I hate being bored, okay? Um, I hate having nothing to do. I, I just, I don't like that at all. I, I want to be doing something, okay? That's why I hate. So one of the great things to me about when I read about the things of heaven, you know, is God, God is immeasurable. Remember that passage in, in, in Ephesians 3.19, it says that you might know the, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't get to the end of it. Ephesians 2, 7, where it says that God has put us in Christ and places so that in the ages, the trillions of years to come, he might show us, demonstrate the riches of his kindness. I mean, I mean, you never get to the end. Every day in heaven is better than the day before. Why? Because every day in heaven, God reveals more and more of himself. I mean, he's immeasurably, inexhaustibly good. And to be in heaven, to be with Christ, the reward of, of placing your faith in Him is to be with Christ. Now, you're not fit for that now. You can't go to the new heavens and the new earth now because you're not fit for that. You're in a sinful body. You need an upgrade, okay? You, you need new bodies. So when, when verse 5 says, Behold, I'm making all things new, part of what that means is you're going to have a new body. Okay? Now, I did not believe this uh, 10 years ago, but I am a firm believer now uh, that not all bikes are created equal. Okay, I'm talking about bicycles now, all right? So, uh, David Bates, one of our church members over at Fifth Street, he called me this last week and he said, hey, Pastor, I'm wanting to ride bikes. He said, what kind of bike should I get? He said, well, you know, what, tell, tell me some good brands. What are some good, you know? And, and so, and at the end of his, his deal, he said, I've been looking at some at Target and Walmart, you know, um, what are, are any of those okay? And no, those are not okay. Okay. Now, if you listen, if you're if you're just wanting to ride around your block with your kids, buy buy one there. That is perfect for that. Okay. But if you're wanting to go with us and ride from uh, Angel Fire to Taos over the single track, do not bring a Walmart bike. Okay. Because two things will happen: you will never make it. Okay. They just won't ever find you again. You you that's it. He went off, and they didn't find. Or, number two, you will make it, okay, like two days later, and you'll be carrying pieces of your bike, okay? That, you're carrying them, all right? So, in other words, that bicycle does not have the capacity to enjoy this trail. You can't do it on that, okay? It just doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest rider ever. You can't do it on that. In the same way, you can't enjoy the glories of Christ with your broken body. Right? That's why we struggle now. 
That's why, that's why we're so distractible. That's why the sin, we, we saw the sin nature plaguing us and beating us down. But one of these days, when Christ comes back, when, when He returns, when, when, when all things are made new, Philippians 3, 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Okay? You will be transformed. Now, part of that transformation is that you will be spectacular. Okay, now, here's my struggle preaching these types of messages. Is I think I say these things and you guys are like, uh, you know, I'm not excited about that. I'll be spectacular. I don't want to be spectacular. Baloney. How many pairs of clothes you have in your closet, ladies, huh? How many pairs you got? You got one for each day, right? Seven shirts, seven pants, right? That's what you got in your... That's not at all what you have in your closet. I see you guys driving around on Saturday like mad people trying to get other people's clothes, you know? What are you doing? What are you doing? You're... What are we all doing? We're, we're trying to look good, right? Attractive, appealing. We want to present ourselves. That's just the truth. Why do you comb your hair? Why do you brush your teeth? Why do you, all, all those, I mean, that is woven into us. Okay? You look around your world today, what do you see? Man, you see people that are, 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 are spending money on diet plans and having surgeries and, and clothes and hats and jewelry and tanning and spawing, all trying to appear glorious and attractive. Okay? It's in you. You, you don't want people to see your shame. You don't want them to see, not only on the outside, but you don't want them to see the ugly stuff on the inside. Okay. Revelation 21. Listen. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so... City, coming down, out of heaven, prepared as a bride. Later on in, in Revelation 21, if we had time, we'd go through all the dimensions of the city and the, 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 the spectacularness of it. But then there's, a, there's something weird. First of all, the thing that's weird is that the city is called the bride. You know why that's weird? Everywhere else in the New Testament, who's the bride? The church. You. You. If you're a believer. Okay, and then later, verse 9 Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Who's the wife of the Lamb? We know that is the church. That is believers connected to Jesus. That's his bride. Okay? Verse 10, next verse. And he carried me away to the Spirit in the great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down. He goes back to the city metaphor. Here's what I think. I think what, what John is seeing is he's seeing the church. He's seeing the church in all its splendor. Maybe he's seeing a city as well. Maybe they're both. Maybe they're connected. Maybe we're coming down. In the, I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but, but I do know that in the scriptures, the bride, the bride of Christ is the church. Okay? So, Ephesians 5. You ready? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Now, to understand this passage, you've got to understand there's two things going on. Right? What's going on is Jason and Emma, husband and wife, Fred and Karen. Okay? You got that going? Okay? Kenny and Bonnie. Okay? Then you got Christ and the church. That's what's going on in Ephesians 5. Those two things. Okay? Parallel. 
Now, so husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does Jesus do for the church? Gave himself up for her. That's the cross. That's the victory of Jesus shedding his blood on your behalf. Verse 26, here's what he's doing, that he might sanctify her. That's what he's doing right now in you. Did you know that? Through the word, through prayer, through the scriptures, through church, he is taking out the ugliness of sin and putting in his righteousness. He's changing the way you think, the way you live. He's sanctifying, okay? Keep going. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She might be holy and without blameless. That is what Christ is doing with his church. He's doing that right now, taking the sin out of you, putting righteousness in you, and and, and coming. There's coming a day when Christ will come back and he will change you, and you'll be changed. You'll see him for as he is, and you'll be born, you'll you'll be made new. Okay, so you've progressed in holiness this far in your Christian life, all right, and you keep going, and there you die. But when Christ comes back and when he makes all things new in the resurrection, then you'll be wham, all the way, okay, maxed out with Jesus' glory, not with your own glory but he puts his glory in you cranks it up to the max and you blaze with splendor and so all of these years when you're trying to buy new clothes and get fit and comb your hair different and look a certain way finally then we will be presented to the lamb without spot or wrinkle blazing glory of god like a bride we get that don't we like a bride You've been to weddings? I've been to a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. I've been to, I've done more weddings than you will ever attend in your life, okay? But none were as spectacular as when I saw my bride 24 years ago. Come around that corner at First Baptist Church, Scott City, Kansas. And there she was. That's, that's what he wants you to think of here. The church, no more shame, no more brokenness, no more ugliness on the inside or on the out made ready for christ that's what he's doing in you now lots of people have questions about this what kind of body let's just go ahead and unpack some of those things so best place to look here is first corinthians 15 so new heavens new earth with christ but the only way that works remember with moses didn't work here on earth he got to have a new body he's not got to be completely changed okay so that's coming what kind of a body let's start in first corinthians fifteen forty nine. just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven okay so not like adam anymore now we're the image of jesus jesus resurrection body is what we're coming into verse 15 50. I tell you the truth, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, right? You can't, you can't go to God. You can't be with him on a Walmart body, okay? You, it's got to be new. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This perishable body must be put on imperishable, this mortal body, immortality. That's what's coming. That's what's coming for you. We read in Revelation 6, 11, 7, 9, 9, 14, martyrs and saints being clothed in white. What's the image there? What's John seeing there? John is seeing the splendor, the glory of Jesus blazing out of these believers because they've been made new. By the blood of Christ. A lot of people ask, well, how is that going to work, Pastor? 
when there's some people who've been dead thousands of years, right? People worry about that. I, I, I got asked that this week. People worry about that. What? That man, they're, they're dust. They're worms, right? What about, what about my uncle who is in an explosion, you know, in the war? You know, what about the guys that died in the South Pacific, you know? What, what, about, what about someone who's, uh, who's burned up in a fire? What about cremation, you know? Let me just put your mind at ease, okay? Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, okay? Tore up, busted up, old, fragile, frail, dust. To be like His glorious body. One phrase here. Are you ready? Are you reading it? By the power that He enables Him even to subject all things to himself. You hear that? Christ has the power to subject all things to himself. Every cell, every molecule, every atom, every, every mineral, every element, all at Christ's disposal. He commands and it does what he commands. And so there's a day coming where God will command the dust in the graves to be resurrected to a glorious body in which you will inhabit for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. A body like Jesus. What's that going to be like? I'm not sure all the way, but I do know this. When Jesus came back in his resurrected body, he sat down on the, on the, on the shore of the lake and he cooked fish for the disciples, all right? So you can cook fish in your resurrected body. Not only that, but then he ate fish. Some of you are going to really like that. In your resurrected body. You're going to cook fish. You're going to eat fish. You can, you can touch me. You have a, it's a real body. Remember what he said to Thomas? Hey, put your hand in here. Touch me. Feel me, okay? But it's, it's, it's not a body with limitations like ours. Remember, he, he just popped into the, new, the upper room, right? Didn't come through the door, just right, right through, there he is, okay? I took your kids. Some of your kids may have said, Pastor slammed me into the wall. That's sort of true, okay? But I was, telling, I was teaching this, and, and, I, and I took what well, I'd always pick a boy. I tried to pick a tough one so they didn't cry, you know? And I take him, I say, hey, Jesus walked through walls. Let's see what you can do, you know, bam, you know, right? And obviously they couldn't go through, you know, and just trying to show them, man, your resurrected body, it's, it's not going to have the limitations that you now have. It's going to be fit for the new heavens and the new earth. 2 Peter 3. Again, don't, not, don't have time. Sorry. Don't have time to do a lot here. 2 Peter 3 talks about the new heaven, the old heavens, the old earth being burned up. The new heavens and the new earth being remade. Okay? You know what's fantastic to me about that? This old heavens and old earth are pretty spectacular. Okay? I mean, the granite walls of Half Dome, the geysers of Yosemite, the colors of the Grand Canyon, the reefs of Cayman Islands, the giant sequoias of Northern California, the colors of, of, of Vermont in the fall, the golden wheat fields of the plains, the blazing sunset after an Oklahoma thunderstorm. That's the broken version. Romans 8 says that's the version of the world that is crying out for God to come and fix the brokenness. All right, now that's pretty awesome as it is. God's going to make it new. The way it was intended to be. It's going to be a place of comfort. Ah, oh, that's... Man, I sat with a family early this morning before sunup, grieving. I, I just kept thinking of this verse. Behold, I'm making all things new. Listen to what he says. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Some people have said, Pastor, how's he going to do that? And in fact, people do funny things, I think. They, they, they kind of make things in their head work. And so they're like, okay, if he's going to wipe away every tear, that means I'm just not going to remember some things. Uh, it's perfectly possible, I guess, that you could not remember. But, but listen, that's not supported in Scripture. In Scripture, the saints, the martyrs, chapter 6, Revelation, they're remembering their days on earth. They're remembering their pain. They're crying out for God to bring justice. So I, I struggle. I, I just I don't see that, okay? So how's he, how's he going to comfort? I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it has something to do with the fact that, for instance, in 2 Corinthians, this, this is a cool verse, Chapter 4, 17. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Okay? If we go to Romans 8, it says that as well. Suffering in this world doesn't even compare with the glory that's come. And here's what I think is going to happen. I think when that weight of glory is dropped on us and we begin to see what is stretched out in front and we begin to see the glory and experience the glory of Christ in around in his presence, I think it will transform the pains and the sufferings of this life. Some of you are athletes. I remember wrestling matches. I remember watching guys just getting pummeled, you know, cut up, arm out of socket. I mean, pain, affliction. But you know what would happen if in the last seconds of that match, they turned it around and got victory? All the pain of the match was now turned into the glory of the victory. How much more with Christ? When in a real way, all things are made new. Not only is it a place of comfort, it's a place with no sin. Revelation 21, verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. No more death, no more crying. No more pain. Sin causes most all the brokenness of this world. So no more sin means no more funerals. No highway patrol officers knocking on your door late at night. No hospitals. No emergency rooms. No violence. No broken relationships. No hurt feelings. No crushed dreams. No more sin in us. You know, the worst sin you ought to hate is in you. How often do you hate it when you mess things up? When it's your sin, it's your anger, it's your unforgiveness, it's your bitterness, it's your crankiness that destroys. No more sin. Real quickly, two applications, then we're done. Two applications. Hang with me. Here's a glimpse of heaven. How, how should you respond? Number one, you should be thirsty. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This is a continual theme in the scriptures. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, is the deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you hear what he's saying? God, I want you. I'm thirsty for you. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. He's saying, come to God. Come to God to get what you need. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you get the theme there? He's saying, why aren't you thirsty for God? Why, why are you thirsty for stuff that will never make you happy? Why are you thirsty for stuff that always lets you down, that always disappoints? Why don't you come to me? And, and so the Bible is saying here in Revelation 21, who is all this for? It's for those who are thirsty. For Jesus. Listen, I, I'm here to tell you, and this is a hard thing. Maybe you'll disagree. I don't know. But I, I, I think it's scripturally accurate. If you're here today and, and you're like, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I prayed a prayer. I know I'm going to heaven because I said uh, something to a pastor. I know I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized. You know, listen, that's all great. But my question to you today is, are you thirsty for God? And if you're not, if you're like, you know what, I'm just not interested in God. I, you know, I'm glad I'm going to heaven because I said my prayer when I was eight. But I'm not really hungry for God. I don't really want him. I don't really desire him. I don't know that you have him. Are you thirsty? Number two, are you investing? Okay, so if this is true, and I believe it is, that all this is laid up, it's coming, where should you be investing? In something that's passing away, temporary, fleeting, or something that's going to be giving you rewards forever and ever? Here in about um, three or four weeks, we're going to go see him as family. We try to do that every couple of years, get down, see the cousins. We're going to do that for four or five days. And then, then, don't tell him I said I was more excited about this next part. But and then, I hope to jump down to the Keys and get on the ferry and go to the fort. There's an old 1800s fort, 70 miles. Dave and Paul have been there with us, 70 miles outside Key West. And we hope to camp there with our family. There's no shops. You can't buy anything. There's no electricity. There's no food. You got to bring everything you got. We hope to camp there for a night and then ride the ferry back the next day. So, question. Is it smart or is it foolish for me to go ahead, empty my savings account, empty it all, mortgage my house to the max, borrow as much money as I can, get cash, Max out all my credit cards, get some more credit cards, and max them out in order to buy lumber and, and ceramic tile and carpet and furnitures and, and big screen TVs and uh, uh, appliances and diesel generators to pull on a barge behind the ferry so I can get it out there and workmen, because I don't want to waste my time. I need workmen who are going to put all that together, okay? Put us together in a little bungalow there so we, one night. Beat me to it. One night. <laughs> Smart or foolish? Now, here's the reality. There's, there's a couple people in here. I'm sorry for you, but you're going to say, that's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, I know you live that way. I, and, okay, the rest of you. That's stupid, right? <laughs> that's really dumb to spend everything I have and mortgage the rest of my life for 18 hours on the beach. Okay, question. How does that, I thought about trying to figure this up, but there's no way to figure it. How does that 18 hours compared to the 80 years, maybe, I hope, that I'll live in this life, 
How does that compare to your 80 years and eternity? 18 hours is actually a bigger bang. Right? So when Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven, it's, it's not that he needs you. It's not that he's like, I really need you to work for me. He can do it every once. He's telling you, here's the wise investment. Man, invest in the kingdom. Invest in the gospel. This short window of time in order to bring people in, in order to live out the gospel in your work and in your family and with your kids. Invest. Because there is coming a day. Now, I even thought about, I, I didn't think about this until I started preaching the first service, but I thought, I may spend the next Sunday just talking about rewards, investment and reward. Maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Forever. That's a good deal. Father, help us, God, to be stirred, to be thirsty, thirsty for you, thirsty for life with you, new bodies, basking in your glory, enjoying all that you are. Father, help us to invest right now in that kingdom that's coming. Jesus, you're our king. Come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?